0: Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, a place to be for digital entrepreneurs. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm digitalcommerce that's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. Welcome to The Digital Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Sean Jackson, and I'm joined as always by the intellectual Jessica Frick. <laughs> Jessica, how the frick are you today?
1: I am intellectual, Sean. (laughs) How the Jackson are you?
0: I am, as always, well. And I am actually excited about today's show because this is one of those rare chances that we don't have other people on the show where you and I get to really hash out two sides of an important question. And that question is this What are the biggest mistakes? digital entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs make in running their online business. And we left the last show by taking two sides. And you say that mistake is?
1: The bulk of them are operational.
0: Mm, Okay. So what do you mean by operational? Give some context in a high level for that.
1: I think the biggest mistakes that you could make are how you run the business. I think that that comes paramount to what you're selling. I mean, obviously quality matters, but I feel like if your business isn't structured properly and you don't have the correct processes in place, the rest of it doesn't really matter.
0: Mm, Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I'm going to take the other side, which is, it's all about the marketing and the product. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, <laughs> And specifically, I think we sometimes don't focus enough on and the biggest mistakes are made in how we think about positioning of the product, how we think about communication of that out to the marketplace, how we oftentimes forget to put a call to action in these things. So from my perspective, I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make, especially when they're small, is not really thinking about how to position and market that product out there.
1: Interesting.
0: I know. I know. And I think, you know, the tough part is, let's be honest about this. The tough part, if you're listening to this, is that you literally have limited time. Okay. Even if you're a multimillionaire, you have the same amount of time that Jess and I do during the day, right? There's only 24 hours. And I think that's the challenge, right? Is where's the priority? Right. And from your perspective, where is that priority? I mean, if you are already doing business, where would you say the priority has to be, you know, in the operational side? What is just a a big idea that you think right now people should be thinking about?
1: Well, interestingly enough, one of the things on my list is time management which is super mm. meta, like that. This yeah, is no. wormholes get started, Sean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, time management, certainly from an operational standpoint, I would say on the marketing side, I will say that I think too often we are not spending enough time focusing on exactly what our product is there to solve. And I think, you know, all of these are going to be important. And the good news, folks, is that we're going to go into a lot more detail about both of these sides when we come back right after this break. The Digital Entrepreneur is brought to you by the all new StudioPress Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical goods, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress right now. That's rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress. Welcome back from the break, everyone. And we are going to get into it now. Is it operational things? Is it marketing things? What do you struggle with? Because trust me, you're probably making mistakes somewhere. <laughs> we're going to try to help you fix it. So, Jess, you ready?
1: I am. And, you know, Sean, you kicked off when you were discussing, you know, paying attention to the product. One of the things that I have on my list, which is also operational, not adapting in time, being mm-hmm. reactive versus proactive.
0: All right. So let's get into the details on that. So too many people are being reactive, not proactive. Go through the mistake and how to correct it.
1: So, for example, did you know that Kodak had a patent for one of the first digital cameras? I but did they not. Didn't, yeah, they didn't release it because they made so much money on film.
0: Oh, ah, OK. So they so were going to be
1: first. And they Mm -hmm. totally blew it. And now Kodak's out of business. And it's because they were being too reactive versus proactive. They had that vision. They could have gone out there and dominated. But because they did too little too late, the market chose for them.
0: Gotcha. So how do we apply that uh, learning to where our audience is right now from an operational thing? They're making a mistake on operation. Uh, They may have a great idea, but they're not executing. Go through that. What are some specific things people should be looking to improve their operations with?
1: Well, I think that you need to be talking to your customers. I think that, you know, along with the customer service, which is the next thing that I actually had on my list, um, you need to be in constant communication and hear what problems you could be solving.
0: Yeah, but how do you do that, though?
1: Well, why don't you survey them? Why don't you talk to them? You know, last week we were talking with John Henshaw from Raven and TapClicks, and he said that he actually talks to 10 customers when they launch something new. And he has them basically give them the one-on-one feedback. And he takes all of that to heart and lets that shape the future. All right. I think there's a lot of value in that versus sending out a survey to 200 people and seeing what comes back.
0: But let's walk through that. I want mechanics, okay? I don't want theory on this show. I want tactical execution. So give us a model, okay? So this is you, all right? You need and want to start understanding more from your customers, right? Give me something tactical that our audience could be doing right now.
1: That's what I said. Talk to 10 of
0: them. Yeah, but talk to them. Do you pick up an email? Do you have a questionnaire prior to that? I mean, you know, from my perspective, listening to you, I would say maybe the best thing to do is before you you even start the process, you write down a series of questions, right? And not leading questions, which are really very easy to come up with, like, tell me how great my product is. That's a bad question, right? (laughs) What are some questions you should be asking? What's something you should write down if you're going to be talking to them, either via email, via phone? What are some questions you should be asking them?
1: Well, obviously, it would completely depend on what you were talking about. I mean, if you are having them review a new software feature, that's going to be completely different than the questions you would ask when you were having them review a new course. It is completely tailored to what you're doing, whether it solves the problem of the customer, whether it gets the job done for the customer.
0: And that's that's the key, right, is the type of questions that you would ask is what is the job that they're trying to get done? and how well does this feature uh, of my product or service helping you get your job done, right? I mean, that's a, that's a generalized question that can be applied to anything, right? You know, what is it you're trying to do, right? Understanding, you know, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What were you hoping that what I am offering you, what is it's is role in helping you get what you need done? And then the counterside to that question, right, is, is it doing it? And if it is, how would you rate it, right? How, how would you rate? How well am I helping you achieve that end goal, right? I think those would be the logical questions. Maybe another question to that would be, um, uh, what is missing from the experience? And that's a tricky question, though, Jess, because if you ask somebody what's missing, um, they're not going to give you the solution, but they're going to give you their idea of a, a future enhancement that you may or may not put together. But at least you can kind of understand the underlying question right? You know, why, why do you think that feature that we don't have is needed? Why do you think this is something we need to put together? Would that be some of the preliminary questions? Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And I think that that would address more on on the marketing and product side of things. Um, operationally, I think you just need to make sure that you have these processes in place so that your market team and product team always have this kind of information available to them, which would also help them to set their priorities, which, you Mm -hmm. know, again, goes back to the time management.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Because if you integrate it into your overall operation, taking time out of your calendar, say, this is when I'm going to be talking to customers, these are the type of questions I'm going to be asking, and then taking that feedback and disseminating it, discussing it, both to your you know to yourself, so you understand it, but more importantly to those that are involved with your operation, that's a functional side of an operation where you need to be constantly getting that feedback loop in a process that is continual in your organization. Is that a good way to summate it?
1: I think so. I think so. And I think that also ties back into the um, need for quality standards. Mm -hmm. Which I think is an operational um, process that needs to be in place. You need to always be testing yourself. I read a statistic this week that bad service news reaches twice as many ears as good service news. And that 95% of customers tell others about a bad experience.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that goes to the heart of your second question, which is about customer service. So talk about operational uh, customer service. What do you mean by that? What are you thinking about that?
1: Well, I think that you need to recognize when you are establishing your business that if you have customers, you're a customer service business. Mm-hmm. And basically all of your operations needs to surround that. And no, the customer's not always right, but the customer's still the customer. And without customers, we're not in business. So I think from an operational standpoint, you need to always remember why you're doing what you're doing, and it comes back to the customer. Are you delivering a good product? Would you buy it yourself?
0: hmm. Yeah. And I think part of that is how you track all of that. Right. Because we're really getting into operational questions. I mean, having a quality customer support system in place right now, if you don't have it, uh, put it in or if you are just starting out, make sure you have it from day one. Right. Because there's so much that comes from that. Right. Just I mean, FAQs. Right. I mean, most people don't want to send you an email for support. Right. <laughs> you know, they don't want to call well, you. They want to figure it out. Themselves. Won't. Right. They just won't. Yeah. Yeah. So things like having a good FAQ system in place so that things that are constantly coming up, frequently asked questions are actually documented so that people can search and find them. The beauty is there's so many tools out there that'll help you do this and they don't cost a fortune, but be thinking about, do I have a good FAQ system, right? Am I really addressing the big stuff, right? And then secondly, and this is something that goes to customer support too, just document the most frequent requests in there that you have to manually do that could be automated, right? I mean, it's amazing to me when you're small, you're like, oh, I'll take the time to do it. It's not a big deal. It's only 10 minutes. Well, when you got a thousand people asking for 10 minutes of your time, your time is gone. Yeah. (laughs) So I think also being very keenly aware is there are certain tasks that everyone needs done from your support system that if you are aware of it, then you can budget time to pay for the automation of it or find solutions that automate it for you. And you know what kills me about this, Jess? We always think when we think automation, a programmer, right? I am blown away by how many self-service tools there are out there right now, things like JotForm and stuff of that nature that really are designed and and Zapier, uh, uh, you know, that allows you to interconnect with other systems. You really don't necessarily need a programmer to automate tasks. And looking at what the problem is and then being very clever about how you put that solution together through tools that you on this show could do right now without hiring a programmer, I think that – is something to also be considerate of.
1: And last week we were talking to Chris Brogan about bots and the rise of bots. And Mm -hmm. I did did a lot of research this past week and saw just how much value that can provide to a business. There are customers that aren't going to look at your FAQ. They're immediately going to want to contact you. Mm -hmm. But most of these customers are asking the same questions over and over again. Why can't you have something in place? that anticipates those questions. And if their question is not one of those, then they can contact you. Mm -hmm. How much time would that save?
0: Exactly. And the nice thing about bots now, there's a ton of service for you to use that will create a very simple bots without programming. I mean, exactly. you know, and that's that that kind of gets me, I think, because given my age and sophistication, I always think <laughs> automation had to be programmed because back when, you know, I was coming up in the tech world, you, you literally had to create everything from scratch. Now there are so many services to do it. Don't be intimidated. If you know what the problem is, there is a solution that you can do to get you an automated system that will help you improve your performance by not taking so much time and addressing what the customer needs. All right, Jess, you get one more, and then I want to chime in.
1: Oh, man. Um, I just want to say one last thing on that, because this will take care of a couple of those on my list. Um, If a bot doesn't work, you need to hire the right people and the right amount of people, because too many or too few, obviously, huge issues. And the wrong people can introduce toxicity and... Cause major declines in productivity, and also um you need to make sure that you onboard people correctly, set yeah. their expectations right.
0: Yeah. Let's, let I'm going to let you end with that one. And I want to go into it because you are 100 right. When I hear operations, right, I'm I'm always thinking about people, right? Whether it's the customer, whether it's your internal people, and the operational side of things really is something that there are processes that you really need to be thinking about. I mean, at the end of the day, we are a people business. All businesses are a people business. They require people to execute, to respond, to do their job. And the more time you invest in training them, right, up front on expectations, giving them processes to follow so you can monitor what they're doing and help them achieve the goal that you're setting out for them. But also that applies to the people that you hire, right? Right. If you're hiring people, you want to make sure that you're bringing in the right cultural fit and having a process for hiring right? That is something that always blows me away. We do an interview with somebody. Oh, they're so sweet. I love them, right? <laughs> and you don't really have a formal process for screening applicants based on whatever criteria is specific to you. And then, of course, the onboarding you spoke about for customers, right? What is the experience they have in interact with you? What is that process? Is it written down? Do you have a flowchart? I mean, the beauty of a flowchart is it just takes a piece of paper and a pen, right? You can draw out the flowchart. Where are people going? Where do you want them to go? So you're right. When it comes to people, I think we sometimes feel like we can just hire them and you know and forget about it, when the reality is, is whether it's employees, whether it's vendors, or even customers, there's always a people process that needs to be defined for every one of those groups, and you will kill yourself as you grow if you do not define that up front. Would you say that's a fair assessment?
1: I would 110% agree. All
0: right. So here's mine. You ready? Marketing. So you get to tell me all the things that, to, that make marketing better. All right. Um, I think, and this really came from our show with uh, the ConvertKit uh, people, Um focusing on who your real customer is. I was uh, reading a blog post by uh, Slidebean, which is the startup, a uh, very cool slide presentation capability, actually. It's kind of neat. Um, and reading about their startup journey. And one of the things that they really struggled with that made all the difference was when they decided to not be a B2C play for like students and things like that, but go right after small business B2B that need Presentations and are frustrated with PowerPoint, right? Very specific target. That allowed them to both raise their price, make more money, get additional funding by just being very clear on focus. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the key. I think too many times we try to serve too many masters because we're not really quite sure who our product and service is right for. And I think as the guys from ConvertKit have shown and demonstrated with their astronomical growth is be very clear about who you want to do business with, you know, is that you need to really think who is going to benefit the most from this. And even if you think there's only 10 of them, maybe there's only one in a million. Okay. That's still 7,000 people out there. That's my favorite quote, by the way. You know, if you think you're one in a million or you think this only appeals to one in a million, that still means there are 7,000 people that would buy that product. And I think we do ourselves a disservice, and especially the customers, by not being very crystal clear on what we are trying to help them do and whom are we trying to help get it done.
1: Yep. Master of all is not real.
0: That's right. That's right. (laughs) I think the second thing that we probably don't focus enough on in the online is really understanding the web experience. And that could be on the phone or on a web a desktop, et cetera, really understanding the experience we're giving them from the initial onset of their journey with us. Um, I think too many times, especially on big sites, we tend to throw content out there because we want all that search traffic, let's say, or social media traffic. We tend to throw things on our website, and after a while, it becomes this amalgamation of information that has no clear direction. And I always am surprised when I see companies start to do that because it inevitably dilutes their ability to convert and realize that you could almost double your business By just converting 1% more than you do today on your website, right? And that's the second mistake I see is that we're not really looking back at our website, really being, how should we say, very picky about it, you know, like really being tough on your website, you know, really sitting there and going, that doesn't fit or, you know, that's nice to have, but we don't need that. And really focusing down. And you know why I think that is, Jess? Why? Why? Because I think building a website is such a pain, regardless of the platform you use, that once you get it done, you're like, thank God, it's over. I never want to do that again. And yeah, I think that,
1: but you always need to be testing. Always. always. be testing something.
0: hmm Yeah. What would you recommend for testing, by the way? Because that brings up a really good point.
1: Well, I think when it comes to conversion, you need to be testing everything on that home page. I mean, maybe changing the button, maybe changing the copy and the headline. Mm-hmm. Change a picture. Yeah. Switch sides.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And that goes to the the point that I was making. You're right. Being able to use tools out there that allow you to do A-B testing. I know Google has one for free, right, Jess? I know there's some other paid ones out there, but it doesn't matter. Look at that site as something that's not static, but is truly dynamic. I mean, one of the case studies I was reading was about how a company literally uh, increased their revenue five times by doing nothing but testing pricing. Right. And I mean, crazy pricing, right? Like $5 versus $100. I mean, seriously, that crazy of a testing. And I think it's because we're scared to do that. Right. We don't want to lose that one sale. But at the end of the day, if you are thinking that way, then you're never going to build in a psyche of constant improvement. And then you're going to be stuck with what you've been doing. So I think you're right, Jess. Be testing everything on that homepage, on those pages for conversion, looking at every single page of your site, saying what is its role in the entire customer journey I'm trying to define out there. Right? And
1: I think that's very smart advice.
0: And then I think the last thing to kind of end it up with that we really probably don't um, think about a lot is um, all of the data tools that we have and really putting them to good use. And I know this goes to something you love to do, Jess, which is data, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think you know the, the practices for obtaining it are just as important as the practices for communicating that with your team.
0: That's right. And I think part of it is is that we need to be looking at our data tools. Throwing Google Analytics on your site is step one. But you really do need to refine those analytics, right? And that's something I know, Jess, in particular, you have spent a lot of time doing over the years is refining analytics down, making sure that every point of the funnel is being tracked to the measurements that you think are important, making sure that as you add additional layers of, of, of attraction in, be it ads, be it social media, et cetera, that you're really thinking about that data model from the get-go, Because if you think about it, and we've done an episode about this in the past, if you really think about how you want to architect your data capture from the beginning, it's not going to spend a lot of time having to refine it, you know, because you've already kind of put the big pieces in place. You're just tweaking them, but it's not a huge monumental effort because we know that data is going to tell us a lot about how people experience our product and service online. And it's not just a spike in traffic that comes from some tweet. It's about what are the actions thereafter and are we tracking them? So I think when it comes to a marketing perspective, that's one of those gaps that I see a lot of people just say, ah, I got Google Analytics. I got a track, baby. And they check and say, (laughs) oh, look, I got all these page views. This is awesome. When the reality is, is that that's only a start of the data conversation And if you set it up properly, then it'll have a much deeper meaning to you as you check in on it. So those are my points, Jess. Anything you want to end our particular episode with related to operations or marketing?
1: Don't break the law. That was the last one on my list. That's that's a good way to screw up your business.
0: Yeah, that's right. Never make a promise that you're not really prepared to deliver. So.
1: you heard it here on the digital entrepreneur. Don't break the
0: law. That's right. Don't break the law. That's right. All righty, folks. When we get back from the break, we're gonna wrap up this show and give you some tips, tactics, and ideas that you can start applying to your business that hopefully will improve your operations or the marketing of your product or service. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur. And I wanna ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online? Now, if the question perplexes you, don't worry, you are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits.com rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and we will not share your email or phone number and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword digits or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed. Welcome back from the break, everyone. And now it's time for us to share some tip tactics, techniques, and tools. So Jess, what do you have on your list for this week?
1: Well, we were talking about big mistakes that employers can make, and we were talking about the onboarding process and hiring people, and obviously a lot of people who listen to this show are going to be hiring freelancers, but if you're onboarding employees, you need a way to manage them, and a tool that I have direct experience with is Gusto. and mm. I've Yeah, I've found it to be a very easy way to onboard employees, manage payroll benefits, HR, all of that good stuff. And the pricing is digital entrepreneur friendly.
0: (laughs) Always an important aspect anytime we consider a tool. Well, my tool for this week is something that we actually use on a couple of sites here. Hotjar. You've heard of Hotjar before? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. it's kind of cool, right? Cause the heat map thing, I think that's one of the probably the more cool elements. That's why they lead with it on the site. But if you're looking at adding heat maps to your site or recording how people are interacting with your site and doing it in a way that's a little bit more advanced than what you're seeing in Google Analytics, then take a look at Hotjar. It's very nice, it's very sophisticated. It really kind of goes into what we talked about on this show, about really focusing in on that web experience, you know? And this is a good tool to help you do that. So that's our tips, Gusto and Hot Jar. Make sure to take a look at them and we'll include them in the show notes for this episode. Which brings us to the end of the show, Jess, and our, you know, question of the week, which, you know, we were struggling with that, folks. Seriously, we've been struggling with what should our question of the week be. But Jess had a great idea. So Jess, what is the question of the week?
1: Well, my idea, Sean, was to not argue yeah (laughs) let's not fight it out and let's talk about what's coming
0: that's a good way yes i agree
1: nerd out on the regular about (laughs) industry news and things that are coming and i think that you and i should have a roundup show because there's a lot of really cool stuff that i think would be of value to our
0: listeners I think you're right. A good kind of mid-year checkup, new trends that are coming out that you should be considering, things that you can do during the summer to start planning for the fall and the end of the year. So let's do that, just In a spirit of kumbaya-ism. <laughs> so Akuta that we may- matata, Jackson. Akuta matata. We are going to take it easy and not try to argue a point, but share with you in our next episode some of the things that are happening now that you should be aware of so that you can start planning for the end of the year. So we'll call it that mid-year checkup show. How's that, Jess?
1: Love it. Love
0: oh, it. Oh, wow. Well, don't worry, folks. We'll find something to fight about during the middle of the week so we can come wow. back ready for you. <laughs> Alrighty, Jess, this has been a great show. Thank you all. And we will catch you next time on The Digital Entrepreneur. Thanks
1: for listening.